This is Mackenzie Milton. This is Steve Levy from ESPN. And you're listening to One Night Stand. And you're listening to One Night Stand. Start with straight shots and then pop bottles. Yeah. Flirt with the hood rats, then pop models. Uh-huh. Start with yeah. straight shots and then pop bottles. Yeah. This is One Night Stand, presented by Seat Geek. Use promo code UCFPROBLEMS for $20 off your first order. Go watch us play Tulane. What up, night fans? It's Sunday, November 17th. On today's show, we calmly go over what the heck happened in Tulsa. We also preview the upcoming Tulane game next week. See you guys there. We also talk a little bit about the college football playoff rankings and our bowl game possibilities. Money Moo is back with his picks of the week, and we answer your questions in his mailbag. We also have a really awesome interview with former UCF basketball player, current ESPN and CBS color basketball analyst, Mike O'Donnell. We talked to him about all assortment of things from UCF basketball to the NCAA to uh, his career at UCF, Taco Fall, a bunch of stuff. So really fun interview. Yeah, so definitely stay tuned for that. And I'm here with Money Moo. UCF loses his third game of the year, 34-31 to the Tulsa Golden Hurricane. Penalties and turnovers were our demise as the Knights lose the turnover battle 3-0, and were penalized a season-high 15 times for 120 yards. You know, you can point your finger at a bunch of stuff. Was it turnovers? Was it penalties? Was it scoring three points in the second half? Uh, Was it, you know, 13 men on the field for the final play after a timeout? Who knows? Um, But there's not just one thing to blame. Can kind kind of spread it all out over a bunch of different stuff. Yeah, uh, where do you want to start? Anytime you're you're a top 25 program. Are we? You know, it, well, <laughs> no, we should you know be. Yeah, we no, should no. be. Yeah. Anytime you should be and you're playing at a top 25 caliber level and you lose to a 2 and 7 team. Although I did warn everyone last week that they weren't really as bad as their record showed. Yeah. You know, they uh they came very close to beating a lot of different teams, so you figured they were going to get one eventually. A, a lot of different it just good, happened to be us. A lot of different good teams as well. Um, yeah, but I mean, you know, fact of the matter is they're zero and five in the American Conference, or they were, and we gave them their first conference win. I mean, that's that's unacceptable. But again, I don't want to fire the head coach, but I just demand better from him. That's all. That's all I'm saying. If you're saying to fire the head coach, you're an idiot because that's going to set us back even further. Okay? You know, (laughs) we got really, really, really lucky. Like, a coach inheriting an undefeated team and then continuing to go undefeated is just like a miracle. Um, And now we're seeing kind of what probably could have happened that first year. So don't say to fire the head coach. Seriously. Like we said before, lost the turnover battle. We were talking about this earlier. All three losses, we lost a turnover battle. And I'd like to remind you that all those three losses were by a combined seven points. But a loss is a loss at the end of the day. 
and you know, I, I don't know what it's like. One loss, eh, two losses, excuses. But I mean, this one's just bad. And you know, you can tell the team's frustrated. Um, the penalties are clearly just a lack of of discipline, which I think is a reflection of the head coaches. But you know, that's that's a whole other story. Yeah, I. I- I kind of agree with you. It's a little bit of everything. I think the turnovers, although I'll disagree with you about the reason that the turnovers are happening, I'm more in the camp of turnovers are kind of, you know, they'll always revert back to the mean, you know. Regression to the mean, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I I read that that Phil Steele book, for uh, college football preview every year. And um, in 2017, we were one of the best in all of college football in turnover margin. I think we were like plus 22. It was like we were either first or second in the country. Like a three to one ratio or something like that. Insane. Right. So that led him to believe that there would be a regression in 2018. However, I think he said that there was like a 65 or 70% chance that we would have a worse tur- turnover margin. Well, then 2018, I think we had exactly the same turnover margin, which was crazy. And So you're saying we were due now, according right. to, it, according you know, to we're theory. Due, it, according to that theory, yes. Were there mistakes made? Sure. But, you know, like I said, any conference game on the road is tough. Yep. You know, it's not easy. Guess what we got coming up, too? <laughs> a, co- a conference road game with yeah, against, a true freshman. Against a, mu- I, against a much better team in Tulane. But people keep saying this true freshman thing. It's like, dude, I mean, he's making little mistakes, but he is not the reason we lost. I, in no, my, absolutely not. In my opinion, I mean, Tulsa clearly took away the deep ball. And we don't change our offense when something's not working. We keep doing the same stuff. And isn't that the definition of like insanity or something like that? I know there's some quote, but seriously, like we keep doing the same stuff and it's not working. We keep doing it over and over and over. Like where are these intermediate passes? They just don't exist. We run up the middle, run up the middle, deep shot, punt, deep shot, run up the middle, deep shot, punt. Like if those aren't there, we got to try something else. And it's like, I, I don't know if Heibel's stubborn or what. It's it's frustrating because, again, we've seen different stuff from him. And it's like, then he just decides not to do it one game. And he definitely doesn't adjust. That's one thing for sure. But well, yeah. I think another thing, too, is the speed at which the offense runs. You know, how complicated can these plays be? Especially, okay, so you run a play, say it's Gabe and Trey on both side, opposite sides of the field running verticals and it's incomplete well then you got to run back it's like what do you want him to do <laughs> yeah i know you that, gotta that, run up you almost have to run up the middle or do something you we know could, to give him a break possibly possibly maybe run it outside <laughs> the thing is when like the run up the middle is great when the offensive line is playing well they played terrible i love these guys but like this they're not playing that well and you can't run up the middle when the guys are just missing blocks and stuff. But again, that's, you know, part of our offense or whatever. Um, yeah, but what, yeah, what do I'm, I know? I'm, I'm kind of puzzled as to why, because it's not a talent issue at all. No, like I came on this show and said at the beginning of the year that I thought this was a top five 
offensive line in the country. <laughs> yeah. About and I think talent I think talent wise, I still stand by that well, statement. I mean, what does that mean? But they're though? just not they're Wait, just they're not, not performing. Gelling. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, dude, Jake Brown is missing some <laughs> I don't know. He's just not playing to I think as well as we've seen him play before. I'll just say that. I mean, dude, Tulsa had seven sacks coming into this game on the year. In like eight games, they had seven sacks, and we gave up six sacks. We almost doubled their sack total in one game. That's inexcusable to a two and seventeen. I don't care if, how many close losses they have. Th- those close losses, they didn't have sacks, and yet we give up six. I mean, come on. And here's the thing: if the old line's not playing well, throw some screen passes to the running backs. Let the guys go by, and then dump it over their heads. Or do some quick passes. You can't throw long if we can't protect. So you got to dump that, especially because they were dropping, um, you know, they were dropping safeties deep, and the deep ball wasn't there anyway. So between them playing and you know, between them trying to prevent the deep ball with their DBs, combined with our inability to stop the pass rush, that's just a formula for disaster. And I think disaster is a good word for this game, but. You know what? At the end of the day, what can we do? We just got to, I don't know, charge on, I guess. <laughs> I think we kind of got complacent at the half, you yeah. know, up 2017. Going into the half, I felt great. Like, I kind of thought it was going to end up like the Temple game. Dude, you know? like, me too. They got off to a little bit of a slow start. As usual. Or, yeah. Okay, by my standards. Uh, You know, on the road. And then we come out in the second half and... Three points, know, man. three points to a two and seven team, but I don't know, whatever. Um, You know, one thing too is we only had the ball three times in the fourth quarter. They really, really controlled the clock and kind of just wore us down. And again, when our offense is sputtering, it takes a toll on the defense. You know, it's like the downside of playing fast and everything. So I don't know. You know, the thing still is, um, speaks to the amount of talent we have on our team is we still haven't played a complete game like two halves four quarters we still haven't and it's this week it's this week baby yeah right here i hope so man i hope so i'm I'm pumped for tulane new orleans is a great city and uh, there happens to be a ucf game but it, it should be fun hey you know maybe we can blow them out that would be nice you know and then honestly i mean uh, really, this game is meaningless. People were posting all these like weird what if scenarios that we can still make the Cotton Bowl, like if like eighteen different things happen to happen. Well, those aren't gonna happen, so let's stop talking about that. But we got the War on I four trophy up for grabs still, and USF's looking over from the West, and they're thinking, "Hey, we can beat these guys now," you know. And exactly, that's so, what I'm, that's what I'm nervous about. I. I mean, we need to win this game against Tulane, but I'm much more oh, pumped. Yeah. Oh yeah, and this is for everything. This is just, for everything. This is the season. U.S. We cannot lose. No, we have to win. Yep, it's it, not. It's an option. a non-negotiable. In our house too. There's no way. Yeah, in our house, everyone's going. Yeah, it's sold out. There's no way we're gonna lose this game. We need to. <laughs> I could tell you a oh. bunch of ways: turnovers, penalties. We'll save that for the next pod. But anyway. Yeah, we could talk about this for forever. 
Let's talk about some positives. Okay. Positives. Now that, now that we had that big old rant. Got that all off our chest, right? <laughs> so, we did have some positives to take away from the game. Gabe Davis finally goes over 1,000 yards on the season, so congratulations to him. Bentavius Thompson added another rushing touchdown to his surprisingly team high of eight. That's crazy. I wouldn't have thought that. Hey. And, you know, for Gabe... How many times have I been calling for his name? You know, another thing we have to look forward to or watch out for this season, Gabe Davis, even though he's kind of had, I guess, a, little, a slow last couple games, is he's still only like 300 or so yards away from single season uh, receiving yards record. So it's something to look forward to because I don't think he's coming back next year. But yeah, Ben Tavius. No, I was going to, yeah, I was going to mention to you that I was looking at, I can't remember the website. It was. One I had never heard of, but it was just a random... Um, like top 100 or something? It was a random mock draft. Uh-huh. And they had him going in the second round, middle of the second round. Nice. So, yeah, that's sounds awesome. about right. He's, uh, he needs... He's a beast. Get him the ball some more. Let's watch him ball out for these last few games. And... Um, yeah. Just go maybe out. He's got, maybe he's got a couple more special special catches or special moves here to put on USF or whoever in the bowl game and leave us with something real special. Yeah, exactly what you said. Other good stuff from the game. AK had a really good game. I know he had that muff kick or whatever, but he did look good out there. Yeah, 57-yard uh, touchdown run. That was... Yeah, and then, honestly... I don't know how they didn't have anyone in the middle. Yeah. Like, <laughs> That's the thing. It's like once the defense they were playing, once we got through the line of scrimmage, I mean, he gone. Yeah. And um, he had that too other easy. he had that other one that was called back too on a questionable holding call by Parker Boudreaux. It was holding. I don't know if it affected the play. It was kind of borderline, but you know, whatever it happens. I mean, a lot of people were like, "Oh, if that didn't happen, we would have won." It did happen. So you could say if a lot of things didn't happen. How about that um that helmet to helmet hit on Dylan Gabriel? Dude, I was worried, like Yeah. Those he, are th- he uh he definitely got knocked out. It looked like That's he got knocked 100% out. Hundred percent had to be of a concussion. Um those are you know, the kind of concussions that are bad. I don't know if you guys remember, maybe like five or six weeks ago, the Steelers backup quarterback, Mason Rudolph, he got hit and concussed while standing up. And then he hit the ground and hit his head. And those are the ones that can be very, very serious because it's almost like a double concussion. Um, and I thought that's kind of what happened. He got kind of sandwiched, hit his head on one guy and then his head on the other dude. And then I don't know how that wasn't targeting, but they also didn't call intentional grounding, I think. So whatever, I guess it's a wash. Now, do you know, has anyone said, I know he went back into the game. Has anyone heard anything about his health? They said he's fine. They said he's fine. So, I mean, a lot of the times you can be after having stuff like that. And a lot of times you can have a not serious hit to the head and be out for, you know, a couple weeks. So, they're just kind of weird like that. But glad he's okay. I was definitely scary, though. You know, it's one of those plays where you just, like, don't even care about the game anymore. You're just like, crap, I hope he's okay. So, um, anyway, any other thoughts from the game? Oh, I got one more. I got another positive. So since we lost, not mad about ECU blowing that game against Cincy. (laughs) Oh, yeah, I can't believe that. A little silver silver lining there. Um, 
Yeah, I don't know, that's all I got though. <laughs> oh, I w- I had someone I wanted to blame the uh loss on. I'll tell you the whole reason why. I can't believe I didn't mention this earlier. What's that? Publix. What? Publix is the reason why the sole reason why we lost in Tulsa. Friday night, I'm like, "Hey, I'm I want some wings." And uh yeah. I guess I was watching a game at home, wanted to go get some wings. Went to two different Publixes. The first one I go to, totally out. Second one I go to, totally out. Lady goes, oh, yeah, we'll make them up real quick in like 10 minutes. <laughs> it's like. I see where this is going. It's like 6.30. Okay, the game was at 7. I'm like, all right, you know, I only live five minutes away. I'll just wait. Yeah. Bro, it was 7.01. And she hands me these damn wings. Oh, I man. missed kickoff. It just left a bad taste in my mouth. It really set the tone, set the mood for the rest of Friday. Set the mood. Set the mood. And I'm telling you what, I'm blaming it all on Publix right now. Yeah, I mean, you know, maybe you should get wings from, like, a wing place. <laughs> <laughs> now, Publix wings are decent, but, like, I wouldn't special order them. Well, they were even on sale. I don't understand. The wings are on that's, sale. Yeah, that's why out. they ran out of them. They don't run out normally. They're not that good. You already know that they're on sale. Why didn't you make more? That's true. Well, also, it's like 7 p.m. on a Friday. They're kind of at the end of the day. You know you know when they like... That's when people want wings, apparently. No, that's like the end of the day when they're running low. Like 7 p.m. on a Friday is like, you know, the, the substation? That's when they've got like half of it like closed up already. You know that, man. Ordering a sub at night. like There's Just like... Saying. It's too much of a coincidence. <laughs> Delhi employees are like far and few. You gotta wait for someone that's like slicing meat to like come make your sub. You know what I'm talking about. Oh. The deli shuts down after like 5 p.m., uh, especially Terrible. on the weekend. All right, anyway, let's move on. Let's talk about, you know, we're not gonna make the conference championship. So let's talk about our bowl game possibilities. We did this earlier in the season, I think after we lost to Cincinnati, but we still had a lot of hope. Now, I mean, the odds of this happening for us getting the conference championship are like one in a million. So let's go through these. All right. So a couple of the bowls we might make is the Birmingham Bowl. This is not against SEC. I don't know what you're talking about. SEC is like the backup, actually. Okay. Because I saw the the possible teams you can play in the Birmingham Bowl is UAB on January 2nd, which I do not want to go to Birmingham. I would only I go if it's a, I would only go if it's against the Gators. If it yeah, was No, that's not going to happen. No, actually, dude, the Birmingham Bowl is American versus SEC. Now, the American, the thing is this year is I don't think we're going to have enough bowl eligible teams. First of all, the project All right, the people that make projections are just writers. They don't know anything and there's still games left to be played. So, don't pay too much attention to the projections. Really what it comes down to is the bowl games trying to make the most money and make the most sense. So they want matchups that make sense in public interest and also geography. So the Birmingham Bowl official tie-ins are the American and SEC. Now projections, the alternates are Conference USA and the MAC, Mid-American Conference. So that's why you've seen projections with UAB. They It could be anything, honestly. These writers don't know anything. So just take whatever you see on a projection with a grain of salt. Anyway... So the other one, the other ones are the Bad Boy Mowers Gasparilla Bowl. Oh, by the way, Birmingham Bowl is on January second, which is strange. Correct. It's like a, a NY seven bowl or something. 
<laughs> so then you got the Bad Boy Mowers Gasparilla Bowl at Ray J in Tampa. That's um, one. That's one that'll definitely be possible. Just again because of possible. geography, and we've it been there three times dis- already. It is December twenty third, which is a Monday Ooh. at two thirty in the afternoon. Yeah, about might that. be tough. Hey, I'll be there. Uh, but <laughs> the next one is the Hawaii Bowl, eight o'clock p.m. on Christmas Eve. So yeah, that's very plausible. Christmas in Hawaii. No, the thing is here is that BYU is probably going to be in that. I I don't remember what I read. It's something with Brandon Helwig posted. They're probably going to make it. And unless Hawaii makes like an NY six bowl, they've always been in the Hawaii bowl if they're bowl eligible. Like six out of six times since the Hawaii Bowl existed, so it's probably going to be Hawaii versus BYU, unless there's some kind of like miracle, or not. That would call it the opposite of a miracle, uh, an unmiracle. Anyway, the next one is the one that I'm rooting for. It's the Military Bowl against an ACC opponent, December twenty seventh in Annapolis at Navy Stadium. This is one that I think is going to be awesome because. From what I've seen, it's either going to be like Miami, possibly Florida State. If they um, get bowl eligible, they got to win out. Yeah. Well, no, they only have to win one more game. Oh, really? They're nice. five. Yeah, they're five and five, and they're playing Alabama State. I think next next week. Hey, you never know. Although they look <laughs> so, rejuvenated since Willie got fired. This yeah. actually, while it would be a fun game, this is like the only game I can't make because I'm doing my Christmas trip probably like December 24th through 28th. And I I can't go to the 24th to, like, the 26th. Although, I guess I could do it early. But I have to book it soon. All right, anyway. So, that one, yeah, in Annapolis, it's going to be, like, 10 degrees. It's outside. It, you know, that would be awesome, but I don't... Put two Florida teams in there. But why would they put two Florida games in a friggin' outdoor cold bowl game in Maryland when they could put us... In like a Florida bowl game because there's a crap ton. Just just thinking out loud. Yeah. All right. So the other one is the Cherubundi Tart Cherry Boca Raton Bowl, which I don't care who we're playing. I'm not going. That just rolls off the tongue. Because it's at freaking Florida Atlantic Stadium, and I've told myself that I'm never going there again. Oh, come on. You don't want a little cherry tart cherry in your mouth? No. What is that even? That's on December 21st. That's actually a Saturday. How, how is uh, that? So we've said this bowl game name like probably 10 times on the podcast. and I still have never heard of it. Never even thought to Google it. So that just shows you that whatever they're paying for that sponsorship is like a complete waste of money. Makes no sense. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Then the Who wants tart all- cherry? Tart cherry sounds awful. <laughs> I'm like gagging just saying it. All right. Sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> the next one's the AutoNation Cure Bowl, which might be a little better. Than the last Cure Bowl, I heard they are moving the game to Orlando City's field yeah, instead they of the Citrus Bowl. So I know that stadium is a little smaller, more intimate. Love getting intimate <laughs> in the bowl games <laughs> with fans. So that could be cool. Also, I, I've never been to the Orlando City Stadium, so yeah, me either. And that's a Saturday, right? That's the same day as the Cherry uh, Bundy. Tart cherry, cherry, bundy, cherry bundy bowl and then the last one which is a, probably a real real long shot here what is it it's the frisco bowl uh december 20th in frisco texas this is a no-go for me just because it's texas 
<laughs> it's Texas and uh, Friday Friday Night Lights, baby. Let's go. Yeah. All right. In the last like seven years, if we're bowl eligible, they've put us three times in the the Tampa Bay Bowl or whatever, the uh, Gasparilla Bowl, or in St. Pete, um, Tropicana yes. Stadium, or they put us once in the Cure Bowl. They're gonna keep it in Florida just to just to sell tickets. I mean. Uh, more than likely, I would say there's like a ninety percent chance we play in either the Boca, the Cure Bowl, or the uh, the Gasparilla Bowl. As much as I'd love to, you know, go to Hawaii on Christmas Eve, no, not a <laughs> not a freaking chance. Anyway, I just want to play any Power Five team. Like I don't care. I don't want to play Western Kentucky. Put us does nothing first. For me. The Gators and the Birmingham Bowl. No, they're gonna be at least in the Citrus Bowl. Okay. No, dude. I don't. I, yeah, I guess the Birmingham Bowl is for like the seven and five or six and six yeah, SEC. Yeah, that's team. gonna be like Kentucky or I don't know Mississippi State, something like that. Maybe a little Texas A and M. Eh, I don't know. Here's the thing: don't get all wrapped up in these. We're not gonna know until they announce them. We didn't even know the Cure Bowl until they announced it. So, um, yeah, it is what it is. Um, that's what we're left with. So, here's the thing. We got the USF game is the biggest thing, and we got to support this team and these seniors. I mean, we're never going to see these seniors play in a UCF uniform again, and also Gabe Davis. So, you know, we just got to make the best out of everything. And we got to talk about the negative stuff, but at the same time, we cannot control the past. So you might as well just enjoy the future. Enjoy these last two games in the bowl game, because you know what? It's better than being 0-12. And like I said, a Ben saying... I can be disappointed and still happy with our success. So while this season's disappointing, I'm still happy with where we're at overall. I'm thankful for the last couple years of success. All right, let's move on a little Tulane preview. You know, they were almost, they were on the fringe of being ranked earlier in the year. Started off 5-1, and one, only lost to the ranked Auburn. Then they kind of went on a skid. I guess, what are your thoughts on them? Overall, uh, I mean, they are fun to watch. I've watched a little bit of some of their games, but I'm just looking at their schedules. Like, they beat. They beat. They beat Tol- you know who they beat? They beat Tulsa. They beat Tulsa. <laughs> okay, but you know they beat UConn, Army. Huge disappointment this year. Houston, huge disappointment this year, and uh, FIU. So they don't really have any good wins. Um, their losses are against Navy, top 25, Memphis, top 25, and Auburn, top 25. So you could say that. Quality losses, man. That's I mean, what you need. I don't know. We'll talk about the line a little bit uh, later. Is the line's out? not out. You got your projected line? Projected line should be UCF minus six. Um, so depending on what it is, if it is minus six, I think it's a obvious no-touch. <laughs> you cannot, it, it, the only way I would bet on UCF on this game, well, I usually try and find a uh, seven-point differential from my power ranks to what the spread actually is. Yeah. So it would have to be UCF. It would have to be even or UCF plus one. Um, I don't see that happening. For me to bet, and I don't. Yeah, I don't really. I'll still probably bet on it just because I'll be there. Uh- <laughs> we got to talk about our crazy first quarter bets what is that like four in a row we hit again yeah free uh, 
I should start making that a money move pick because I would have really well. uh, your score would be my like season total. You'd have five more wins so far. <laughs> so I gotta take a look and see what Tulane normally does um, in, in the, the first, first quarter. quarter. Yeah, I um, think Vegas is starting to catch on though. Like I feel like quarter could be kind of kind of high. I think if it's seventeen or under, I'd still hit it. Hit it. Hit it, baby. Yeah, I agree. Back to Tulane. If you follow Squints on Twitter, then you've seen his... He's posted a bunch of uh, clips from Tulane's offense. They do some really awesome stuff, like a pass-run option or something. Like They run an option, like a legit old-school option play. And then, instead of pitching it as the end or the cornerback or whatever DB goes after the quarterback, instead of pitching it to the running back, dude, he does a little, like dupe the over pass over his head to the receiver who like throws off his block it's pretty hard to defend they also run like an old school wing t offense on the goal line anyway if you're not following squints follow him at squints underscore 15 our favorite friend of the show and uh he's just posted a bunch of stuff about Tulane's offense dude they're gonna give us a hard time like they run crap that's like the pit special it's just gonna have everybody like with their hands up looking around like what I think so as well. Um, not not a knock quarter- on our defense. Just saying that, like it's it makes me like confused, and I feel like I'm just as easily confused as they were on the pit special. So something else of note is their quarterback Justin McMillan transferred from LSU, I believe. Yeah, he was a good recruit. He's also their leading rusher, which leads me to believe that oh, we're screwed. He's a very mobile quarterback. And <laughs> we're done this year. This year, we have had a lot of trouble contain- containing um We've had trouble containing, like, mediumly mobile quarterbacks. This guy's actually a mobile quarterback. So, yeah, um, eh, whatever. Bet the over, maybe? I don't know. <laughs> um, Yeah, as far as Tulane, I'm still trying. I've got it down to, like, two venues for the uh, Friday night kickoff party. So, just playing on going wherever I tell you to. It's going to be in the French Quarter around 8 p.m. on Friday night. And then depending on the time of the game, I'm really hoping for 3.30 because then we can like do something after at 7 and watch the games because I got a really cool spot picked out. But if it's a 7 p.m. game, I mean, it's almost like we're not going to be out till 10. If you try and go to the quarter, it's going to be 11 or midnight possibly. So we'll probably just go to the boot, which is like, it's like the number one college bar in the nation, or number two behind library. Uh, but the boot's like always on those lists and stuff. So anyway, if you can go, go. It's going to be a really, really fun trip. Uh, Tulane's got a cool stadium. They sell alcohol throughout the whole stadium also. Very cool. Obviously. Hey. Dude, <laughs> dude, it's New Orleans though. Like, Dude, they have a full bar at Little League games. <laughs> dude, everything revolves around drinking in New Orleans. It's not, it's not just a myth about being a party city. Seriously, everything revolves around food and drink. And that's why I love it so much. So, yeah, that's Tulane. All right, let's talk a little bit about the, uh, I guess, the rest of the college football. Uh, Second rankings came out. The first week we had four American teams ranked. And this week we had three. Cincy at number 17, 18 Memphis, and 23 Navy. The first week we had SMU at 25 and they won and they conveniently dropped out of the rankings after a whim 
which is stupid. Their only loss was to number 18, Memphis. They beat number 19, Texas, who had three losses. So not that these matter because, like, since he, I mean, they didn't even move up at 17, but let's just show you how stupid these rankings are, honestly. Um, well, it's like the criteria changes, like, every week. Yeah, feel, every uh, every week, know. every year. Dude, okay, so last year, uh, who was it? Ohio State. They had that bad loss to Purdue. And they never, they were, like, number 10 in the first rankings in the first couple weeks. They didn't get, they never lost a game for the rest of the year. They won the Big Ten Championship. They finished, like, 12-1, and one, and they were only ranked number 6. Now Georgia... Loses to freaking South Carolina, who lost to like a, a FCS school, and they're number four. It's completely different. Is it like what is it? Is it your quality losses, your quality wins, and you just ignore the bad losses? Now they're just saying, oh, it's the best four teams. Well, why do you even play the games? Like, how is Georgia a best four team? Oh, just because they didn't show up against Appalachian State, you just ignore that? It's so stupid. I don't know. At the same time, what else would we like complain about every single week if they didn't know. have this? Like NFL, thing to wonder, like where they would have us if we were undefeated. Like, would we be we, ahead of jo- we, one we loss would, Georgia? Dude, we probably would, not. Dude, I think we would be top four right now because everyone would be like, "Dude, give them a chance." It's been three years in a row they have not lost a regular season game. Georgia lost to stupid Appalachian State. I mean, I think it would be like. Like an eighty twenty consensus on putting us in the top four, like why, why the hell not? Have us, I don't think they'd even have us ahead of Minnesota. It's like who would we have beaten? What oh, you, Cincinnati. But Cincinnati wouldn't even be top twenty five if we, they didn't lose to us. We, we were like number fifteen when we went into Penn or when we went into Pitt. And you know all that matters is like your current ranking. Minnesota was even ranked till they were like seven and zero. They didn't even sniff the top twenty five. Yeah, but it's also apparently it's also who you beaten. Dude, I don't I, know if Cincinnati would even be top 25 if they didn't beat us. Who knows? they lost to Ohio State 42 nothing. Honestly, who knows, man? It's just whatever's convenient for them. Um, it's so stupid, though, because like they're like, oh, we want the best four teams. Well, you know what? Sometimes the best teams don't make the playoffs. Like the best whatever amount of teams make the playoffs in certain sports. Sometimes teams that almost shouldn't sneak in, and sometimes they win. And that's why sports are fun, and that's why wins and losses should matter. But what right. do I know? All right. Well, it's like in the NFL, sometimes the two best teams aren't in the Super Bowl. Yeah, so what? Like, it, That's why you play the, the year games. Bort- that's the year why it Bortles makes it fun. Had the, Jags, the year Bortles had the Jags in the AFC Championship clearly better than the Patriots. But they lost the game. Miles Jack wasn't down. Yeah, that's why you play the games. All right, let's move it on. Yeah, let's talk about basketball a little bit, and then we'll get to the interview. All right, basketball season kicked off last week, and the team started off one and zero with a win over Prairie View A and M. No, it's not a very sexy name, Prairie View A and M, but in the early projections of bracketology, they are expected to be a tournament team. So, so they're supposed to Prairie- win a conference. Yeah. Nice win, nice win at the beginning of college basketball. Yeah, like I, I said, they played us hard, and uh, we didn't cover the spread. I don't think, but the game was closer. No, we didn't. Then it should. But have I been. mean, last year, last year, early on in the season, you know, bad, good teams lose to bad teams all the time. We just saw earlier last week, 
uh, unranked Evansville beating the number one team in the country, Kentucky, yeah. on their home court. And, and uh, that, you know, that's the thing, too. Kentucky, they've got a team full of one and done. So this is like their third game or second game playing as like a unit. You got to remember that about UCF, too. This is a whole new team also. So it's going to take us probably a couple weeks to get going. The stat of the night when I was watching the Miami game a few days ago was 81% of UTF's points scored from last year are gone, either transfers or seniors. So we're we're playing with a completely new roster. Yep. A few familiar faces, though. Colin Smith uh, still starting for us. Cesar DeJesus. Uh, and Frank Burtz are about the only That's people that really. saw any significant minutes last year. Uh, but overall, I think we're going to be a pretty decent team. I like the way the team uh, showed a lot of aggre- uh, dude, we're aggressiveness. Fun. Yeah, dude, we're fun to watch, though. It's like, way, it's actually, besides Taco, like the offense is way more fun to watch. Like, we're running, like, we're shooting and like it's like a mini kind of Golden State type offense. When last year you got to revolve everything around Taco, and it was it was kind of boring. I mean, like no offense, I love all the players and stuff, but you know what I mean. Yeah, very athletic team. The team can get up and down. Was really impressed. Dazon Ingram kind of taking over the place of Terrell Allen and BJ Taylor a little bit at the point. Uh, the Texas A and M transfer Brandon Mahan or Mahan um, showed a lot of. <laughs> showed a lot of good signs um, that he'll be progressing throughout the year. And I was impressed with that kid, Dumbia. I'm just going to say his last name because yeah. his whole name is... But I think it's Ibrahim Famuk Dumbia. That dude has some crazy ups. He got yeah. his head above the rim twice. He's definitely going to throw down plenty of jams over the year. Is that the guy that missed the alley-oop versus Miami? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. dude. Yeah, he's he's all over the place, man. He uh he did lead he did lead the team in rebounds with 7 and he only played 9 minutes. Oh yeah. I like so, this guy. Coming Dubia. off the bench. Dubia. He's only He's only a sophomore transferred from South Carolina last year. Kid's Love got it. some skill. Love so it. overall, I'm pretty impressed with the team. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know if we're gonna like. Ma- it's very hard to match what we did last year. Yeah, but, uh, I, I mean, we play in a really tough conference. I think the American could be a three, four, uh, four team, uh, four bid conference going into the tournament. Yeah, so I mean, you know, lost to Miami by nine, but we played them well. Miami's, you know, like you said before, they're a good team, and um, it seems it's gonna take them a couple weeks to kind of, you know, get in stride, just like last year. You know, everyone coming back from injury hadn't played together for a while. It took us a while um, to kind of get going. I mean, you know, no one will let me down from this, but the whole Fire Dawkins thing. Well, hey, we weren't playing up to our potential at the time, and <laughs> you know, I'd like to think I'd like to think I'm the reason the team turned it around and made that hot run coming into uh, tournament time. That's so. true, man. That was like the Tebow speech. Like you weren't yeah. gonna take. Yeah. You were backing down. That dude. was it. And obviously, you, say, you told everyone fire our coach, and then all of a sudden we started playing good. Exactly. I don't know why. I just it took me a year to think of that. But uh, or maybe Dawkins listened to the podcast. Who knows? Uh, yeah. So basketball definitely exciting. Guys, check out the games. Like, dude, the the student turnout for that game Tuesday night was awesome. There was like 3,000 students. Now, I know the rest of the stands were empty, and then everyone was like, 
oh, like everyone complained about the students for football, and now the students can complain about the regular people for basketball. It's like, dude, it's a friggin' Tuesday night game at 9 p.m. Like, people that aren't students have to work or don't live in Orlando. So, let's be real. It was going to be tough to sell out that game. But definitely impressed with the student turnout. We need to keep that going, guys. I mean, I know the majority of listeners are in Orlando, and it's tough to go to weekday games and stuff, but just try if you can. Like, they're fun, and we got to support this team. You know, we're not the only team that plays weekday games. They all do, and, you know, you go to a Kansas game, it's sold out every time, and I'm not saying we have to beat Kansas and sell out every game, but if you care enough, you can make it, and we need to start building that support for this team. Because eventually we will get to a place where every game is sold out. But it starts with me and starts with you. Yeah, and I just wanted to give a quick shout out to David Miranda, who won the one night stand UCF basketball ticket contest. I was unable to go to the game. So instead of selling my tickets, I decided that I would give them away to you, the listener. Little trivia Uh, question. Little trivia question. He was the first one to respond. So appreciate that. David, thanks for listening. Big friend of the pod. Yeah. Um, all right. So since we're talking about basketball, let's do our interview with Mike O'Donnell. Uh, like we said earlier in the show, he is currently a um, color analyst. So he calls the games with the play-by-play announcer, basketball games for CBS and for ESPN. He played basketball at UCF for three years. So we talked to him about a variety of topics. How we got to UCF, his experience there, um, you know, how he got into broadcasting, and then we talk about current uh, UCF basketball, a little bit of last year's team. Uh, all right, let's do it. All right, we are here with Mike O'Donnell. He is a former UCF basketball player and current color analyst for ESPN and CBS. How's it going, man? It's going great, man. Thanks for having me on. Hey, thanks so much for agreeing to do this. First things first, let's talk about a little bit about your career, um, some background information. You played at UCF, was it from, I think, 05 to 08? That's correct. And uh, so you started off at NC State before transferring there. Um, can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, so, um, you know, in high school, um, I was recruited by Kirk Spiraw, uh, who was the head coach at UCF at the time, uh, pretty heavily. And uh, it was, I really, really liked Coach Spiraw a lot. Um, and he came on an in-home visit and met with my parents, myself, and it was it was great. Uh, the only problem at the time, I don't even know if it's a problem, but that was when UCF was playing in the Atlantic Sun. And I was I just had offers from ACC, SEC, Conference USA, Atlantic 10 schools. And I really it was actually very difficult to tell to tell him no thank you, because I just, you know, I I just hit it off with them right away. And so I ended up going to NC State uh, committing there. And um, and then, yeah, after the after that season, towards the end of the season, um, I had really kind of felt that it just wasn't the right place for me. Um, it was funny, actually. Um, it's a specific memory. Uh, we were, we, it, that, that NC State team was really good. Uh, we were top 20 for most of the year. We beat Duke when they were number one at home. Uh, you know, rush the court kind of stuff. It was really cool. That's awesome. It was a fun experience. 
but I, I was just feeling so um, robotic. We played in the Princeton offense, Princeton-style offense, and it was kind of very counterculture to uh, to my game a little bit, which is kind of kind of ridiculous, I think, to most people because I was a short, unathletic, you know, fundamentally sound point guard. But um, <laughs> I mean, that's that's what you're supposed to thrive in the Princeton offense. But I I I really I hated it. I I felt like a robot. And um, and I was homesick like crazy. And there isn't like I wish there was like a really cool story. But if I'm being legitimately vulnerable, like I was. In, but besides the Princeton offense, I was homesick like you wouldn't believe I was a Florida kid. Right. And uh, man, just really miss the state of Florida so much. It was just was an 18 year old kid. And um, but I, re- I remember we were, I think, a six or seven seed in the NCAA tournament that year in 2004. And we played the first and second round in Orlando. And I remember just flying into Orlando and staying at the airport. And I was like, God, it just smells like Florida. I just love it. I want to come back to Florida so bad. And as I'm saying that, before we're getting ready to play, I turn on the TV and it's, it, you know, it's March Madness and it's NCAA tournament uh, time. And, and UCF is, um, is playing Pittsburgh. Yeah, and that was our they, first time, they, I think that uh second time i believe it could, could have been the first time you might be right uh, first second time something around there playing pittsburgh yeah and and, and almost won um i think i only lost by it was single digits i believe it was like four or five points and um it really uh, uh i was like you know what uh, this is pretty interesting and it was even more interesting because i had then i had just read that ucf was moving in a conference usa um, the year that they had just committed to moving to Carpentry, I would say the year that if I was to transfer there, uh, my first year playing after the redshirt year would be the first year in Conference USA. <clears throat> and so I was thinking about it. And I was looking at a few other schools, uh, Butler, um, and a few few other few other places, and um, and even UF. And I just took a visit to campus. Uh, after I uh, decided to transfer from NC State, which was a very difficult decision. And I came on campus and I was just, even back then, it was a total, right? Everybody says it all the time. You know, you're just blown away when you come on campus. You say, wow, I had no idea this was here. I loved it. And I think I committed like 48 hours later um, <laughs> after after my visit because I was uh, I was all in after that. That's awesome. Um, and that was, bef- was that before the arena, right? Was yeah. It built? Uh, you know what? I'm glad you said that because I, I should have mentioned when I when I came on campus, I didn't even realize until after we left that uh, Coach Spira uh, and his staff did not take me into the gym, the old arena. <laughs> um, it was a really really savvy move by them because I had come from playing in the RBC Center at NC State, where it was, you know, seats almost fifteen thousand, and right. uh, played in the ACC. And uh, yeah, they they were not going to show me that unless I absolutely demanded it. And it was funny. <laughs> I, I I remember talking to those guys about it years later. I'm like, you know, that's a pretty slick recruiting move, man. You know, but it wouldn't have mattered. Wouldn't have swayed my decision because I'm just not. I, I was I wasn't your typical recruit, right? I didn't really care about gear. I didn't really care about the flash. I didn't care about fancy locker rooms. Like I just wanted a coach. I just wanted to play for a coach to go hoop that I felt really comfortable with. And I wanted to win games. You know, I just kind of grew up blue collar like that. And so any, all the bells and whistles 
were just always fell on deaf ears for me. Uh, it was way more about the style of play and and fit than anything else. Yeah, well, it sounds like it worked out good. Um, we had, I think, what was it? Your second year after you were eligible was a pretty good season. Um, we went twenty-two and nine, I believe. Can you tell me a little bit about yep. that season? Yeah, well, um, most people won't take a deep dive into those years but those first couple years in conference usa you got to remember the jump from the um from the atlantic senate conference usa that's a big leap right i mean that's not just a baby step i mean that's a big step forward and and to be quite honest with you you know we probably didn't we only had about two or three guys those first couple years that were you know would have even been recruited at the conference USA level. Right. Um, and, uh, that year, that second year, we had such a great rhythm and rapport and chemistry with each other. Um, it was a mixture between, you know, we had some talent, um, but also, uh, we just out scouted people. We won games that we shouldn't have won, uh, just because Kirk was the better coach. Uh, we just out scouted people. Um, we definitely, that was like, you know, that was our last year in the old arena. Also, that was the year that coach Sparrow was, you know, there was talk that he was, he was on the hot seat. Right. And we did two things, um, that this, especially that year is, is when we talked about, especially some of the, some of the leaders on the team, we talked about, you know, we're playing for Kirk. And we're playing for these fans in the old arena because that place got loud. Kirk you know, Shirks, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, they're the best. <laughs> we only, we only, um, you know, it, it only sat about, you know, about four thousand people. But we played for every single one of those fans in there. And um, when we beat Houston uh, at home, it was the second to last game, home game of the season that that year. Um, we got we. we we were that, that that win gave us second place in coverage USA. That is crazy. When you look at when you look at the talent that it should have been, where we were picked preseason, um, expectations were you know just kind of average. Kirk uh, Kirk Sparrow was on the hot seat. It was the last year in the old arena, and when we beat Houston to solidify second place, that was that's incredible. When when you look at what UCF has done now it kind of pales in comparison, but at the time that was a big deal. That was one of my favorite years of all time. We had no business winning ball games that we won at that time. We just kind of embodied the nobody cares about us. We didn't even talk about the sleeping giant stuff, but it was more like nobody cares about us. So we're going to go run through a brick wall. Uh, you know, if, yeah. you're, if you're lining up against us, and it was total blue collar. We're just going to play harder than everybody else, and we're going to be smarter than everybody else. And it was a fun, fun season. There's, there, there's no doubt. That's awesome. You guys just found a way to win. You know, I mean, it's a team sport, and uh, like you said, with great coaching and um, you know, just out hustling and and determination, you know, against the other team, you know, anything can happen in a game like basketball. So that's uh, that's really cool. So that was your, I guess, junior year. Then you had one more year. I guess the next year was kind of an off year. And then um, Kirk ended up leaving. But how was your experience overall, I guess, at at UCF? You know, it's the best. It's it's the most beautiful campus in the country. I've been all over the place. It's got the best on-campus dorms. 
Um, spoiled there. You know, for me, yeah, for me. So, so it's kind of weird, right? My two jobs, you know, I work for a private equity firm and I do broadcasting. Those two jobs are for people usually, you know, those are for people that are more external, right? Uh, in a standpoint of that they're more outgoing, they're more extroverted. Right. Um, but I, I'm, I'm an introvert through and through. I'm just, a, I'm just kind of a functioning introvert. <laughs> the thing about UCF that I will always be grateful for was I, I think just because that everybody at that time when I was going to school felt that this place was going to be huge. And from administration to fans to, to students, when it felt like that, that you were playing for them, you kind of went through this thing together. And so the relationships that I made on, I mean, on campus, it's going to last for as long as I'm alive. I, I met my wife there. Um, half of the groomsmen in my wedding were friends that I met at UCF. I was heavily involved in SCA, Fellowship of Christian Athletes, which really kind of, you know, was a big thing for me because I was just such a quiet kid that I had a hard time. Like, I was weird, right? I was this big jock, <laughs> you know, like for, for you know, if, if you're checking all the boxes, like, okay, Mike's a basketball player and, and he's really quiet, so he's just she's just a basketball guy and he must go our, you know, after big wins, you know, he's hanging out with the, is he hanging out with the football team? He's going out, mm-hmm. you know, and partying. And it's just not, you know, what it wasn't me. I was the guy that was picking up the guys from parties or that was the DD. You know, I was, <laughs> I was just a star Wars and Lord of the Rings geek. And that was like, it was kind of my thing. And I had a hard time kind of, it was the campus was so big. I had a hard time fitting in and end up getting involved with the FCA and really met some of my best friends there. And, you know, it's just relationships that uh, that last a lifetime. There, there's there's no doubt. But it is, it is a great, a great example. I always say, you know, UCF stands for under construction forever, and um, you know, very field of dreams, right? If you if, if you if you build it, they will come. It's true. And uh, <laughs> I just re- I just remember my first couple of years on campus. Uh, the where the new arena is, there was that man-made kind of pond lake you know, and, um, right in front of the old arena. Right. And, That's where um, memory mall is now. It used to be a lake. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and, crazy. um, yeah, oh, it's totally crazy, man. It's totally crazy. And, um, the great thing, you know, uh, they were the biggest bass ever in that thing. I mean, it was just huge, like, like, like mutant, huge bass. And I love to fish, but you know, you weren't allowed to, you weren't allowed to do that. But every during uh christmas break you know all the students and staff and everybody's gone except for the basketball team because you're playing games over christmas break right so i would catch i would you know that was during my off time i'd i'd go i'd go catch those bass catch and release and uh and you know throw them back in it was it was like fishing with dynamite but it was it was great and now you know you're you've got a nationally recognized basketball team and arena right where i was just ripping the lips off some bass, you know, it's just weird. It's just, yeah. it's just kind of, it's just kind of weird how it grows like it, that. It's yeah. awesome. My freshman year was 2007. So we already had the arena, already had the stadium, but the talk around campus was like, Oh my God, everything's so different at the time. But I remember telling like people back home and like friends and family members that I went to UCF and they would be like, Oh, is that that school in Tampa? And 
it, we've gone from, you know, this kind of school that really no one's heard of, Central Florida, where's that, to now we're nationally recognized. And like you said, it was kind of like a sleeping giant. And we just continue just- to get bigger and bigger. And like you said, if if you build it, they will come. And uh, it's definitely it's happening. Winning. It, it, Win- it, it yeah. really is. It's, it's winning. It's winning at a big level. It's finding the right the right mixture of administration and coaches, you know, it's, it's not, uh, it, it, there's, there's a lot of moving parts that go into winning, not just on the field or court. And, and it took some, it took some time, but it happened a lot quicker than a lot of schools. Um, yeah. And there are plenty of schools in the ACC or the SEC or the big 12 or the big 10 that sit just you know, around for hundreds of years and uh, even still are, are insignificant if you actually look at, you know, uh, <laughs> what they've accomplished. Yeah. And uh, it's 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 remarkable. It really is. I mean, you look at like Mississippi State football. I think they've they've been in the SEC for like over a century and I think they have like one conference championship. Um, but yeah, I think uh, Danny White definitely helped expedite the, the winning process over these last few years. And yeah, the best is yet to come, in my opinion. So it's definitely awesome sure. to um, to think about where we're going to be in, you know, 10, 20 years. So let's talk a little bit about life after uh, UCF. What did you, I guess, do after you graduated, and how did you end up in broadcasting? When I was done playing, I had no idea what I wanted to do. Uh, everybody told me two things. Mike, you'd be a great coach, or Mike, you'd be a great athletic director. And um, I just had no idea. It's one of the, the frustrating things about, you know, being a college athlete has it's like the most amazing experience ever. But there's things that you do miss out on. And those things that you miss out on are kind of introspective to where, it, you know, it's very self-realization of, of who are you. Right. Those are your formative years in college. And uh-huh. it's hard for you to it's hard for you if you're not a genius it's really hard for you to find the time to sit down and figure out what you want to do. And then if you're, if you're lucky enough to where you do figure out what you want to do, um, you usually don't have enough time to start networking and pursuing that. It's, it's, a, it's, it's, it's very difficult. Um, so anyways, when, when I was done, I, uh, um, I, I had broke my foot the last regular season game of the year. Uh, my senior year, you know, just like the most stupid, horrible, random way to go out. You know, it's like the, the last thing you want to happen. Thanks. And um, I had no idea, I had no idea what I was going to do. And I was like, well, I, if I don't know what I'm going to do, I better get my master's degree. And at the time, I wanted to be a, a grad assistant uh, for Coach Spiro on the basketball team. But there it wasn't enough in the budget to have any grad assistants. Um, I even met with the athletic director at the time, Keith Tribble. I met with him one on one. I crushed into his office. I was on crutches and I said, Hey, you know, is, is there anything in the budget? I'd love to be a grad assistant. I'd love to stay here, you know, and, and work for the basketball team, you know, I mean, cause I was, you know, I was a good kid. I didn't get in trouble. You know, I felt like I had, I had done enough to where I could have that conversation with the AD. Right. To earn that. And, uh, yeah, you know, it took me forever to put clothes on cause I got, you know, <laughs> I got a cast on my leg and yeah, I looked sweating. And, uh, he said, you know, I'm sorry, there's no, no, nothing in the budget for you. So, um, I said, okay. And so, well, thanks. I appreciate it. And, uh, I, I, I grabbed my crutches and I start crutching out of the office and I literally crutch on the foot of the director of the golden Knights club. His name was Todd Reeser. 
Mm-hmm. And I didn't know what the Golden Knights Club was. I didn't know what development was. I didn't know what fundraising was. <laughs> and uh, he goes, Mike, hey, I'm so sorry. You know, great season. Really enjoyed watching play. Blah, blah, blah. Big fan. You know, and I said, thank you so much. I appreciate it. And he says, what are you doing when you're done? What are you going to do? And I said, you know, that's why I'm in here. I actually have no idea. I just met with the AD. And he goes, well, why don't you, why don't you come be a GA uh, in the development office? You'd be great. You'd be awesome fundraising and and you can go ahead and, uh, you know, you, you pay for your master's and you get a stipend. And I'm like, Sweet. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> and uh, so I didn't know anything about fundraising. So I started fundraising. And, you know, one of my first projects was doing the marketing and fundraising for the for the brick walk, the night walk. that's in front of the football stadium where people, you know, spend money to donate money to get their name on a brick in front of right. the football stadium. And that was like one of my first projects. And, um, and honestly it was, I just stayed there. You know, I got my master's and as soon as I got my master's, they were like, Mike, we really want you to stay on uh, full time. And I hired a, a, a hired me a, a kind of an in, intro position mm-hmm. and I said, okay, you know, got a job. Great. And I, I was done playing. I didn't want to play anymore. And, and then all of a sudden, uh, <clears throat> well, well, during that time, uh, I had been doing color with Mark Daniels for the best for the home basketball games. Oh, okay. And he, he had never had a color analyst before. And um, did he just do it by himself? Like play by play and kind of he, analysis? Mark or? had done stuff by himself for years and years, decades. I grew up a sports center junkie, right? I, when I was a kid, I, I would watch it three times every two or three times every morning and I would basically memorize sports center. And I always kind of had this hidden thing of like, man, that'd be so cool to do. And I was a college basketball junkie. You know, even when I was playing, I was watching, you know, late games in the pac 12. Mm -hmm. And, um, I was like, Mark, Hey, do you want anybody on college hoops for for the home games? He goes, absolutely. Let's do it. He goes, I was going to talk to you about anyways. Let's go. Oh, that easy. That's awesome. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it's, well, well, it's free, right? And, right. you know, it's free and allows Mark to breathe every once in a while. Right. And um, he kind of, you know, took me under his wing and he taught me just, I, I can't even tell you how much he taught me, just uh, basically my entire fundamentals for broadcasting I got from Mark. And, um, but I did that for years. And then um, after a couple of years of going full time, uh, and with the Golden Knights Club and doing radio for UCF, I just got the itch to get back involved with the game. And so at that time, it was Donna Jones, the head coach, and they needed a director of basketball operations. And I had known Donna Jones. He, when he was at Florida, he recruited me when he was at Florida. Oh, that's and we right. stayed yeah. in contact, and, and he was, he was uh, very, uh, a very good friend. And uh, I called him up. I said, I'm, you know, I'm in for this job if you, you know, if you, you know, if you don't want to go do a long search and he goes, yeah, let's, let's go. I don't even want to do a search. Nice. Um, and, uh, so yeah, I took that gig and I got into coaching and, and left fundraising and I'm really glad I got into coaching for a year and a half. And then I decided, <laughs> nope, I'm out. And then, um, at that time you get a new athletic director, Todd Stansbury comes in I bump into Todd at a function and he asked me, Hey, are you going to keep coaching or would you like to come work for me directly? And then, so I said, let's do it. Um, so I left coaching and I, I was Todd's chief of staff for about a year, a little over a year. 
And then it was time to grow out of that position. And then so I was hired as a, um, a, a development officer again because everybody said that's the track. You know, fundraising is the track to be the AD. And right. And so I did. And so I did it. And I spent about three years, three more years in that. And I was just fantastically complacent um, in a standpoint of not my work uh, because it just it did really well. I kept getting more projects, you know, promoted mm-hmm. one more time, two more times. And and I, I just would come home and I felt like it was just nine to five, you know, just doing work. And it felt very uh i i just uh, more satisfied sounds like well it was it was the frustrating part was i had to keep slapping myself in the face because i wanted to make sure i wasn't being selfish because i had this amazing job i met my wife there i had i was working with my friends you know working at your alma mater amazing gig i mean just right. just amazing but i i wasn't fulfilled personally i missed the game i wanted the overflowing cup uh-huh. Uh, so to speak. And so um, I made a decision. Uh, I won't. It was a I did a lot of I did a lot of work uh, introspectively to get to this point about over 12 months. Mm-hmm. I made it. I turned in my two weeks notice, kind of shocked everybody. And I went after broadcasting. I started my network from nothing in that space and just uh, networks. My whole life is networking. That's my, that's number one, number two, number three of things that really kind of not just drive me, but set me up for success. I ended up developing a relationship with a former big executive at ESPN. And I said, look, just, you know, give me the Stetson Bethune Cookman game on a Tuesday night at 9 PM that nobody wants to do. Like, let me prove myself, you know? And, and he just says, you know, well, we got to get you a meeting up in Charlotte, you know. And I said, well, just tell me what you want me to do. And I get a random text in October uh, about four and a half years ago on a Sunday. And he says, it says, be in Charlotte for lunch tomorrow. <laughs> I said, okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> uh, I tell my wife, hey, I just FYI, I'm buying a plane ticket to Charlotte. And um, I go up there. I meet with, uh, meet with a guy at ESPN. And um, it, was a, it was a rough meeting, but I ended up not hearing from him for like two months. And I sent him a hat or a month and a half. I sent him a happy Thanksgiving email and he replies back. Hey, can you do these two games? What? No way. That's awesome. And, and let, me, uh, let me stop said, you right there real quick. Though. Sure. Yeah, um, yeah. What, what was that meeting like? Like, do you show him your highlight reel or do like a practice or just, I have it's no terrible. idea how this kind of stuff it's, works. <laughs> it's terrible. It was the worst meeting of my life. Um, uh, I flew up there. I was in my best uh, Coles suit. <laughs> you know, um, and uh, I did research on the guys. I, I I had sent him stuff, you know, highlight stuff before because I had done some uh, a lot of high school work for Bright House Sports, right. uh, you know, uh, and um, radio stuff. And I had sent him a whole, uh, you know, just everybody and anybody, you know, just my highlight reel. And yeah, uh, get up there and. Uh, I'm asking him, I have no idea what to do, you know, and mm-hmm. I'm just, I'm asking him about his kids and his family and like just <laughs> trying to develop the relationship and, and, uh, talk, barely try to talk about myself because I didn't want to come off as chauvinistic and, and egotistical and definitely, um, and, uh, the, the guy that had introduced me, uh, gets up uh, and I was getting no kind of no feedback. And the guy who, 
introduced me, gets up, uses the restroom and says, you got 30 seconds, uh, 30 more seconds to just pitch yourself before, uh, before we leave. And oh, so man. I just kind of did a final little pitch and, uh, I got the reply back of, you know what? Uh, good luck. You know, I wish you the best of luck Yeah. and, um, have a great holiday season. I was like, well, yeah. All right, you know, I tried. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'll, I'll never be working at ESPN ever. You know, <laughs> like uh, this, this was a failure, and um, and yeah, it's it's uh, happy Thanksgiving. Oh, hey, by the way, can you do these two games? Um, sure. It's it's a. It, it, I, I'm still learning the process. I am still understanding that world. Uh, the more I learn about the world from th- that broadcasting media world from other people that are in it that are uh, much more. Uh, big time than I am. Uh, everybody feels the same way. Um, nobody has any kind of thumb on the pulse of, you know, how this stuff operates. <laughs> it's 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 not a wheel that's moving forward. It's four different wheels that are wobbling in multiple directions, and um, it's the same thing. Like with CBS, how I got in with CBS, I um. I stopped developing relationships with color analysts because I realized that color analysts don't want to help. They're your enemies. (laughs) Right. I personally don't think or act like that, but I was just naive in the fact that I thought everybody's just a really nice person who wants to help everybody. Well, that's not true. Mm -hmm. Um, And because you're trying to keep your job. Right. And, um, And so... I started developing relationships as much as I could with play-by-play guys that, that seemed to like me and I did a j- good job with. And so I had play-by-play guys and, and a couple other mentors in the space just email the CBS sports uh, um, talent producer like, you know, multiple times in like a, a four-month span. And I get an email that says, hey, Mike, uh, please stop sending people my way. Um, please just know more people recommending you. <laughs> I don't want to get any more emails. Wow. Uh, we're going to, we're going to give you, we're going to give you four games, three games just to see how you do. And so I said, Hey, great. Thanks. We'll bother you anymore. And those three games turned into six. And, um, then the, then 12, the following year. And then this year is my third year with CBS sports. And it's kind of just grown a little bit over the course of time. That's and, awesome. Uh, very, very, totally random. Don't understand it. It's insane, but I'm addicted and I love it. I just want to be, uh, you know, I have, I mean, I, uh, the goal is to call an NCAA tournament game. You know, I want to be at that level. Yeah, and it sounds like, I mean, with your determination, how you got here, this is something that you really, really wanted to do, and you just never gave up, and it's got you this far. I don't. I don't see why that can't be possible one day. That's awesome. Um, so you have you, you said you have twelve games at CBS this year. How many with ESPN do you have? Uh, ten, uh, but it's it's not a set number. Right. And I'll get I'll get a couple that'll trickle in. You know, I might get pulled off a game and get added two more on. Um, I'll probably like I did twenty eight games last year, okay. so uh, that it'll probably be around that number this year. I I hope so. Yeah. What's your, uh, so let's talk about that job actually just for a little bit. Like what, what is your routine? Like when do you, do you, you fly all over for these games and how early do you get in and what's your routine? Like do you meet with the coaches and stuff the day before? How does all this work? Um, cause I have, most people have no idea. You know, 
thankfully I get to do a lot of UCF games. So my relationship with the coaching staff, the players, the managers is really good. Right. You know, so I get, you know, my whole thing is, can I become a great storyteller and how do I not just robotically or regurgitate a story in the broadcast to make it sound like I'm just reading the game notes and, right. you know, uh, how do you, uh, how do you educate and entertain at the same time? It's very much an art form and that's very difficult for me because I'm not artistic at all. Right. Um, and it's just a constant battle of, of how much information do you want to get out there? but what information is actually necessary to make an enjoyable experience for the people watching the game and listening to the game. You got to go off the field um, and it makes it even harder if you don't work with every play-by-play guy every time, because every play-by-play guy has their own style. Yep. Um, some guys talk a lot. Some guys don't, don't talk very much. Some guys are more conversational in the broadcast, which is what I prefer. Some guys are just real by the book. And uh, it's it's never an exact kind of uh, kind of science. But so my prep is incredibly extensive only because I think I just love doing it. I don't want to be bad. Uh, I care about it a lot. So I if I'm going through my checklist of things that I'm doing is, you know, uh, I go through all the game notes. Um, I have a roster board of all the players, uh, height, weight classification stats um, and then uh, additional notes that I get from, you know, either the, uh, the team's media guide game notes. Mm-hmm. Um, I, it, you just keep it simple with Google searches. I mean, you're just look like you're, I'm reading news articles from, right. you know, whoever the beat writer is. Um, a lot of times I'll ta- want to talk to the beat writer the best way to get information and stories about the team, the pulse of the team is talk to the radio guys mm-hmm. uh, or the managers of the team. It's here and now, right? So I want to get there. I want to be at the practice, you know, the night before the game. I want to talk to the coach. More importantly, if I can talk to the managers or, the, or a manager, I'm talking to them because that's where you get the good stories from. Right. Um, and then those are the future assistant coaches, too. So then you also are developing relationship for the future as well. Smart. Um, and, uh, then, and then you in the night before, um, if a lot of times I'm doing it multiple nights before, but you just, you know, I, I got two kids. I've got another job. Sometimes right. you're on a, you're on a plane and you can't watch film on the plane, but I'm also watching you know uh, watching game film. You know I try to watch at least at least the most current game of that team uh, that that just played. But I would prefer to watch at least two games. Mm-hmm. Um, so between game notes, media guide, uh, uh, conversations with coaches, managers, uh, radio. Uh, the radio guys and um, any current news articles. And then on top of that uh, game film, I'll create my roster board and my roster board is that's, that's, that's my, that, right. That's my Holy grail. I mean, that's the it's thing. Like your playbook, that, right? Yeah, that's exactly right. I take it very seriously. Um, I put a lot of effort into it. Even if I only get to half of the stuff, um, I want to have ammunition. I want to have, I want to be able to, to lean on, as much as I want, or but really as m- more as much as it's needed for the broadcast, it, I might use all of it. Uh, if if it's you know might be a blowout game, so you need to fill stuff, fill you time. Got, you got to be prepared. Also, yeah, yeah. You also don't want to force everything, and then of course, yeah. And, and so 
it's a lot of work. And you could tell when you watch games of guys who who do the prep work and guys who don't. And um, I just I, I, I enjoy the prep work. It's part of the process for me that I've kind of fallen in love with. Yeah, it definitely sounds like it. And from now on, I'm going to listen like way differently to basketball games. And actually, like I normally don't even pay attention to who's the play-by-play and who's the analyst. I'm I'm excited to to pay better attention to what everyone's saying and kind of throughout the game, especially like if it's a blowout, see what they kind of dive into um, to you know fill up the empty space. Um, that's really cool. It sounds like you're super passionate about it, and that's awesome. Um, let's talk a little bit about you know, this college basketball season, um, before I let you go here, what are your thoughts on this UCF team this year? You know, obviously it's almost like a completely different roster. My first cliche statement is they're going to be fine. Um, you know, uh, there's just so many new faces. You're trying to figure out who you are. You know, what really helped is that, that trip to Spain to kind of formulate, you know, who's going to be playing. Um, but Obviously, this team has already played faster and can play faster um, uh, because of the guard play, because uh, Taco Fall isn't there. But the big thing for UCF is their defensive identity, right? So you got to remember with Taco Fall, you know, you see the block shots and you see the rebounds, and those are very important. But UCF was in the top 11 the last three years of defensive field goal percentage and defensive field goal efficiency. And really what that came down to was teams just don't make shots against UCF. Mm-hmm. Partly, in fact, because Taco Fall forced teams to take shots that they don't practice. So even if it doesn't individually show up in the statue for Taco, the guard, the center, the forward is forced to take a eight-foot fadeaway jumper on the baseline. That's not their game. Maybe for maybe for the first time ever. Right. Right. Uh, but because they just haven't practiced it. Uh, if you don't practice a shot, you're not going to make it in the game. And that's the biggest. That was his biggest thing. So so how do you how do you identify that and then say, OK, who do we have on the team? Well, you got Colin Smith, who is, I think, the most underrated big man in the American Conference. And you have some really, really athletic guards and some quick guards. And I think between Dazon Ingram, Frank Burtz, who is actually a phenomenal defender um, and just a sneaky good athlete, uh, Brandon Mahan, Matt Milan, uh, Darren Green off the bench, and Cesar DeJesus, you've got guards that, can re- that I think can really lock you up. It's just whether they commit to what Coach Dawkins wants them to do. The biggest frustration I think Coach Dawkins has with this team is – it's not replacing three pros. It's replacing three vocal leaders. B- right. Excuse me, really, really four. Because you got B.J. Taylor, Aubrey Dawkins, Taco Fall, and Chad Brown was such a, an emotional uh, leader for that, for that team the last couple of years coming off the bench. You know, who's that guy, right? Dazon Ingram's the point guard. He's probably the most talented player on the team, but he's only there for one year. Um, right. Same thing with Matt, Matt Milan. He's probably the most mature out of the entire group, but he's only there for one year. So how do you formulate a relationship quick? Um, you know, so you can identify, you know, who is the calming force of that team? Those are the two things is who who from a leadership standpoint, who's the guy? I mean, not not just talking about rah rah in the locker room. I'm talking about on the court. You're going to be able to make shots or make the right play, you know, calm 
the offense down, understand when to push, understand when to slow down, understand when a big play needs to be made. And I, I'm still I'm waiting for that guy uh, to do that. Um, I think it actually could be Caesar if he really wants to. Um, but uh, it, it's that and coupled with defense. I think they're fine. Off, going to be fine offensively. I think uh, you're going to see maybe a lot more zone early on from Dawkins and um, defensively, who is this UCF team going to be? Because I don't think they know that yet. Right. And that's just something that a new team has to figure out um, over the, the first few weeks and then hopefully get into a groove and then, you know, head into the conference tournament and um, who knows what's going to happen. How do you, how do you feel about, the rest of the conference, I guess, and how do we match up against some of these teams? I mean, I think we're probably going to have three or four um, tournament bids this year, right? Yeah, I think there's going to be four. Um, you know, I, I, I think, you know, Wichita State dropped a game the other day. I, I still think Wichita State's going to be a really good team come February, March. Um, uh, but I, but uh, Memphis, Cincinnati, Houston, and Wichita State, I think, will all be going to the tournament. Um, South Florida was a tournament team until Alexis Yetna uh, tore his ACL. Yeah, that's um, that's a that, that's a that's a big drop. I mean, uh, you know, they just lost last night um, to IUPUI uh, to a team who had been was just blown out. IUPUI was just blown out by Bradley by thirty, Ouch. and Butler by thirty. Uh, so they're 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 struggling. Um, but uh, I don't think UCF is. They were picked preseason 10. Um, I think that's way too low. I think they'll probably finish 7th or 8th. Um, they're better than UConn. They're better than Tulsa. They're better than East Carolina. They're better than Tulane. Um, and right now, I mean, I, I think after watching them, uh, they could even be better than South Florida um, if all the pieces fit together. I, I, I think they'll probably finish, you know, around 7th in the league. Um, and you finish 7th in the American, you're probably, you're probably going to the NIT. Hey, and uh, I, I think that's I think that's a I think it's a great way to carry momentum after losing three professional basketball players right <laughs> off the roster. Um, and, and it's it's a it's a it's a good job of reloading, not rebuilding. And um, I think that's I think that's a, a big possibility. But uh, um, yeah, Memphis is Memphis is the most talented team. But I think Houston is the most complete team. Uh, if you're asking me who would win a three game series between Memphis and Houston, it would be Houston. Um, I'm a big uh, Calvin Sampson fan. I believe in what he's kind of created there at uh, in Houston. And uh, so I think four teams. I think you see four teams in the NCAA tournament. Um, I think Temple will be a legit bubble team, um, that kind of fifth team that's knock on the door. But I think Temple, USF, and UCF will all be NIT bound uh, by uh, by March. Awesome! It's glad to hear. You know, when the conference does well, that's that's good for us. Even if you know we're in like a reloading type year, um, and it sounds like the future is definitely bright for our team. Two uh, quick questions, and then I'll let you go. Um, one: What are your thoughts on Taco Falls? potential future in the NBA he's not playing for the Celtics right now everyone kind of thinks he's going to but you kind of hear differing opinions um what do you think yeah I I do think there's a future for him Uh, I think it's just got to be the right fit you know um there's got to be a team who wants to utilize him Uh, I don't think just this isn't a knock on taco it's just a reality of where the NBA game's at you know five out 
on the perimeter, it's it's a threes or layups. Right. Um, actually, actually, this season we're seeing a lot more mid-range action than we had the last couple of years. But uh, the, the back-to-the-basket post-up player it isn't counted upon uh, as heavily as it was. But that's not the biggest deterrent, you know, because the best thing that Taco has going for him is that he just affects so many shots. He's such a great defender. He has like amazing timing for someone who's seven foot six. He is way stronger than people give him credit for. Um, I mean, his lower body strength is absurd. You just can't move him. Right. And his timing on his blocks, how he affects shots. There, there, there are teams in the league that understand the importance of that player. I mean, that's why the Celtics picked him up because that's one of those teams. The Celtics, the Grizzlies, and the Spurs are three teams that I would look at and say they would want someone like Taco Fall. I just refuse to believe that Taco can't play eight minutes a game in the NBA for for ten years. Right. Um, like it, in in two minute spans, he can get you a dunk and a block shot, and then he comes. In. I just think I think there's a place for him. Um, I think he's only going to get better. He only started playing basketball sophomore year of high school. Crazy. Um, yeah. So I, I absolutely think there's a place for him. Uh, no doubt. Awesome. Um, definitely glad to hear that from uh, an expert, not just you know all of us fans saying that he should be playing. Um, last question here: um, Are you calling any UCF games this year? Oh yeah, yeah. Called the home opener. Uh, you know, last week, and then I've have about eight. Uh, so far, uh, or I've got about six non-conference games and two conference games. So I have SMU and Tulsa during conference play at home. And, you know, I, I've got the Charleston game coming up here on the 23rd as well. Now, that Charleston game, that's a – College Charleston, that's a, that's a team that could potentially win the Colonial Athletic. And they have one of the best point guards in the country in Grant Riller. Um, averages about 20 points a game, five or six assists a game. The kid is really good, potential pro um, coming out of the mid-majors. So that's that College of Charleston game is going to be a sneaky good game to watch, um, even if you're just a college basketball fan. Uh, that matchup between Dazon and Grant is going to be electrifying. So, yeah, I'm really looking forward to that one on the uh, 23rd. Awesome. Sounds good, dude. Well, hey, thank you so much for joining the show. No Follow him on Twitter. Uh, what's your Twitter handle? Yeah, so it's M-O-D, uh, the number four, and then the word three. M-O-D-4-3. Uh, that's right. There you go. Yeah, g- give him a follow, and uh, we'll be sure to uh, to see you at some of these UCF games this year. So thanks so much again, man. Go Knights. Thanks. Go Knights. Charge on. Appreciate the time. Awesome interview with Mike. Uh, definitely cool, too. You know, talk to a former player turned analyst um, about a variety of all those topics. So thank you to him for joining our show and be sure to follow him on Twitter. Um, whatever we said it was during the interview, I don't remember now. OK, now it's time for our favorite segment. Money move. Picks of the week, Picks of the week brought to you by Money Moo. Two and one last week, man. We're we're starting to get a little hot now. Yeah, you know, I think what is that? So we're three and zero. Oh. It's two out of three winning weeks. Two out of yeah. That's all we'll you need it. to do. Yeah. Sixteen and eighteen on the year now. I can smell it. We're we're running for the finish line now. 
we're gonna surpass even. Then we got all the bowl games coming. Oh, bowl mania, baby! We're, oh, by the way, sa- saving the best for last. By year. the way, we were having a uh, bowl pick'em contest. Big contest, big prizes. That's how we do it here on One Night Stand. So stay tuned to details for that. Uh, all right, let's go over your picks from last week. Last week, two winners were Kansas State covering and Wyoming. Also a very nice pick by me. Free. The one loser was Penn State. Not free. <laughs> they honestly, I watched the whole whole game. They they just had a bad game, man. dude. And Minnesota. That, that's the only one I bet too. <laughs> Minnesota, the home field. I really underestimated the home field advantage there. It Roll was like the their boat, first, baby. It was their first sellout in like seven years. Um, but good. Oh, it's. It is what it is. Yeah. Anyway, yep. couple bad, couple bad turnovers too, uh, by Penn State that led to that loss. But whatever, we're two and one. All right, moving on. So the first pick, we're gonna take Iowa minus three versus Minnesota. Yes, I'm picking against Minnesota again. Iowa defense very stout, only allowing 11.7 points per game. That's fourth best in the country. Minnesota, on the other hand, big public team. Everyone saw them work Penn State last week, and now they get plus three, and everyone's going crazy, chomping at the bit. And they're undefeated, too, which like people a lot of time just look at the matchup and look at the records and assume the team with the better record is better. Wise man once told me, when everyone's buying, you need to sell. When everyone's selling, you need to buy. And everyone seems to be buying the Gophers, so I'm going to be selling. You're doubling down against Minnesota. Okay. They've only played three road games. Their best win, you ask? Double overtime against Fresno State. Wait. Complete. Oh, their best road win. I was going to be like, yeah. dude, Penn State? All right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying. No, they're a right. different team on the road, like some team I know. <laughs> I don't know who you're talking about. Iowa, even though they're all 6-3, and three, they can still get into a decent bowl. They've already gone through the gauntlet of Penn State, Michigan, and Wisconsin. And Minnesota still has to play Wisconsin. I know I said last week that Minnesota wasn't battle-tested. They played Penn State at home. However, this is their biggest road game of the year. I'm taking Iowa, minus three, and probably the under. Um, but we'll stick with just Iowa, minus three. Yeah, um, like I said, doubling down on Minnesota. This can either end up really good, and you're like really <laughs> smart, or it'll be really bad. But no, I agree. Minnesota's home field advantage played a huge factor in that win. Penn State just couldn't get into a rhythm. And once Minnesota got ahead, it, the game was just almost over. Like, you could just tell and you could feel it. Um, but I think this will be a different team on the road. And like you said, they're still overrated, even though they beat Penn State, who I think was overrated also. And yeah, you know, Iowa has a good defense. So I really like <coughs> this pick. Um, all right, what's your next pick? Second pick, kind of insane. I'm taking Ohio State minus 51 and a half at Rutgers. Public move. This is the most public bet in the entire world. Public Paul, I should say. <laughs> public Paul. Laying 51 and a half points, but Ohio State is not afraid to run up the score against anyone. They have covered every single game. Since week one, the <laughs> only team to cover against Ohio State, 
the Florida Atlantic Owls. And that was because they just let off the gas in the second half. Ohio State no did. more let no more letting off the gas. Rutgers, they can't, it's impossible for them to score. That's like you. That's like you freshman here. <laughs> Hilarious. Five, five out of their nine games, they've scored either zero or seven. That's I'm bad. Thinking the, I'm thinking the latter and, for this game. And this is like their hardest opponent so far, too. Exactly. I think Ohio State, another reason why they're not going to let off the gas is that they really want to get to a place where, if by some off chance, they do slip up once against Penn State, Michigan, or the Big Ten title game. Maybe that Nebraska. They still, <laughs> that they would still get into the playoffs with one loss. Biggest stat of the game. Justin quarterback Justin Fields for Ohio State, 27 touchdowns, one interception. Rutgers quarterback Johnny Langan, three touchdowns, six interceptions. Oh, poor, poor guy. Yeah, that stinks. Take, take Ohio State minus 51 and a half. Yeah, not going to lie. I'm, I'm going to stay away from that. Not because it's a public bet, but at 51's insanity. Although. This has got to be like the biggest spread ever, and I do want to say, say I'm like a part of history. Actually, you know what? I just convinced myself. I'm betting this. I'm going to be a part of history. Ohio State minus 51 and a half. Book it. All right. What's your third one? That was a huge like roller coaster of decision well, making for me. It's probably, it's definitely not the biggest line. It, it could possibly be a top 10 biggest or maybe, conference line. Yeah. Or yeah. home dog, home dog conference. There's no way anyone's been. <laughs> Maybe like Alabama when they played Vandy a couple years ago. I, I don't know. Dude, I doubt it. I've never seen a spread this big in a conference team. You're right. Like against an FCS team, yes. But not against a conference team and definitely not against a conference team on the road. Um, but we're still going to take it. All right. All right third, third pick, dog of the week. We're taking Houston plus 10.5 against Memphis. How in the world is Houston going to stop the Memphis offense and freshman running back Kenneth Gainwell? The answer, you can't stop them. You can only hope to contain them. Memphis, on the road, a completely different team, like another team I know. Yep, very true. We are already 2-0 and picking Houston this year. We picked them in the first week of the year against Oklahoma. They covered. Then we picked them as an underdog against SMU, and they covered. So this is the third time. We'll be picking Houston as an underdog, 10 and a half points. And, you know, their season really isn't over. That They could get one, you know, major win, just like last week, Tulsa, even though they're two and seven. Yeah, it can be you home know, records. Playing, season playing destroyers. us was like the Super Bowl, you know what I mean? Yeah. Why'd you have to bring that up, man? I like, sorry. almost forgot about it. Sorry, no. sorry. I know, I so know. anyway, Memphis, yes, you, you really can't stop their offense. Um uh, they're, they're just too good this year, but I think Memphis still wins the game. But, um, you know, they have trouble, they have too much trouble on the road. And Houston at home, they can keep it close, 10 and a half, take Houston. All right, let's recap them real quick, and then we'll get to Moose Mailbag. Taking Iowa minus three against Minnesota, Ohio State minus 51 and a half against Rutgers, and Houston plus 10 and a half versus Memphis. Let's get, get that, that money. money. All right, let's move on to Moose Mailbag. First question here from Golden Knight 2. 
Do you believe this team does not know how to answer to adversity and win close games? I know we've lost three games by a total of seven points, but that Tulsa game shouldn't have been what it was. What do you think? Do you believe this team does not know how to answer to adversity? Eh, No, I don't think that's true. Not being able to answer to adversity would be, you know, when we're down 21 nothing on the road at Pitt and just laying over. Yeah. Losing maybe and, like 42-10. And we were losing to Houston at halftime. We were down against Temple on the road. We were down against, I don't know, someone else. Uh, <laughs> we've definitely been down a lot. In resp- I mean, look at adversity. Look at the two Memphis games last year. These guys know how to answer to adversity. Um now, I think the players do. I, I, the coach, on the other hand, does not seem to know how to adjust, but that's a whole other story. All right, next question. Next question is from Dan Cundiff. Who are the breakout stars for next year? His vote, Ryan O'Keefe. Um, I'm going to go with Marlon Williams. Now, I know he has been getting the ball a lot, especially in the second half of this season, but I think he's going to be like a breakout guy, like, you know, eight to 10 touchdowns next year because he's really going to have a feature role in this offense with Gabe Davis going. Uh, what do you think, Moo? I'm going to go with my amazing ability to find running back talent. I knew before, you were going to say this. <laughs> you know, a couple years ago when I first saw Greg McCray, uh, I think I saw him, he played some cleanup duty in, against like uh, one of the FCS schools. Yeah. We play, and I said that's going to be our next star. And he had um, he had a big spring game too. Yep. And you called first it first time. First time I saw Bentavius, I said he will be our next star. Yep. So especially with AK uh, graduating this year, definitely going to see a heavy dosage of Bentavius Thompson, and I can't wait. Oh, I thought you were going to say Trillion Coles, honestly. Oh well, yeah. I mean, he he's oh, probably gonna he's probably gonna step up into Ventavius's role. This, you know, yeah. what he, what Ventavius was this year, kind of a change uh, of pace guy. You know, and he's he's only a freshman this year, so plenty of time. Next, so he'll have plenty of time, but he'll get, he'll definitely get his time. Yeah, the one-two punch with Ventavius and Otis is gonna be great. Although I wish we'd use Otis like in the slot more, and then that open up the open up room for um, Trillian in the backfield. Anyway, um, next question. This question's from CF Cool. What is the prediction that DG and other key players will be back instead of declaring for the NFL? Go. Uh, I don't really think we have anyone else that could leave early. Earlier in the year, we had teased that possibly Richie Grant uh, would be leaving early. He was a top 10 projected safety um, coming into the year, but he's had a pretty quiet year, to be honest. I agree. Yeah. Gabe Davis is obviously he's going to go to the NFL. Uh I could see a couple people transferring, but I don't want to I don't want to speculate. I I hope no one does, but you know, if someone thinks they have a better opportunity somewhere else, never going to hate them for leaving. So, what can you say? All right. This next one's from Dr. Pharma. Would a dedicated offensive coordinator solve our play calling woes and help Hypo become a better game manager? I think so 100%. You know, I think Lebby should call the plays, and I didn't just pull that out of a hat. I've had people tell me that he's very, very gifted and, and a really smart quarterbacks coach, and they think he would do a good job. So I think so. I mean, like we've said before, it's tough to, like, all right, math is hard, right? Just right. math. <laughs> just math in your head is hard with, like, knowing how many seconds on the play clock, 
and how many when to call a timeout. Well, now imagine math with numbers moving. That's game management, and it's not easy. And if you're trying to do that and call plays, like it can get very, very, very difficult. And I don't think it would hurt to let someone else call the plays, especially when it seems like when Hypo gets down and stuff's not working, he has an inability to adjust. And it, on the other side, it seems like when we're winning and stuff is going well, He's like doing all kinds of different stuff. It's like the opposite of how it should be, and I'm just kind of mind blown. But what do you think, Moo? Yeah, I agree too. I mean, when I'm watching football, I've never played, I've never coached, I've never anything. I can't even like keep up with what down it is. I feel like all the time I'm like squinting towards the video board, like, oh, is it third? What is it, second? Dude, my well, my, I, my first year playing football, actually, my first two years, I. I played on the line. I never knew what down it was. I was just so focused on, and obviously you get used to it playing year after year, but I was just focused on the play and not jumping off sides, which I did quite a bit. (laughs) But I mean, there's a lot of stuff going on. And obviously these are guys are professionals and they're not me and you, but still there's only a select few head coaches that call plays and are successful at it at any level. So I don't know. What what the hell do we know though? We're just podcasters. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Um, all right. <clears throat> wrapping it up. Let's wrap it up. Um, Shaquem Griffin got a lot of snaps as a pass rusher last game. Cool to see him in that role, even though he was rushing off a different side they was used to in college. He actually had a 66 grade on pro football focus, which is average, but it was like double the grade of the guy before him, who was actually a big free agent pickup, or I think maybe they traded for him. The Seahawks did. And I think Coach Pete Carroll said to expect to see him in more of that role going forward. Um, him with Clowney on the other side, dude, I think we're really going to start to see him to step up. You don't just get good right away. It was It's silly to expect Shaquem Griffin. You know, he's not a top 10 draft pick. You just come in and dominate. It's going to take him some time to get used to pro football. And I think the best is really, really yet to come. And I'm very excited to see him shine on the big stage in the NFL. Absolutely. You know, one thing is true. He ain't going to quit. That's for sure. Uh, well, they just, <laughs> so, they just, Nike just came out with some cleats or something for him. They're like oh, nice. Velcro or something. Yeah. Anyway, really if cool there, to if see. If there's anyone that's going to fight, you know, keep trying every single day to get better, you know, it's Shaquem. Yeah. And for sure. Dude's never going to give up at any time uh, and just going to keep fighting. Um, Blake Bortles had his first appearance of the season in the Rams game. Jared Goff got knocked really hard on like second down. They put Bortles in the game, and he like oh nice. He had like a miscommunication with the running back, and then just like scrambled and gained two yards. But it was it was third and three, so they didn't get the first down. Oh. And then the head coach I was, was gonna say, was it at least a first down? No. And then the head coach was like, oh yeah, that was the design play. Look it up on Twitter. It's funny. He he like didn't know what to do with the ball. Uh, classic Bortles, but good to see him play. Uh. Yeah. Hey, other big news, Latavius Murray liking my picture with him on Instagram. Oh, my God. No, that's actually pretty cool. Famous. Yeah. No, that's pretty dope. Uh, I mean, you got to meet him. I feel like that's cooler than him liking your picture. But go ahead and brag yeah, about the dumb thing online. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, it was a picture with Latavius Murray, not just your picture, which right. I guess would have been cooler if it was just your picture. But, uh, yeah, you got anything else? Um, I saw men's soccer as our tape as a, as we were taping. 
did win 5 nothing in the second round of the AAC tournament. Let's go. Let's go. They'll probably be so, further along by the time you hear this, but good, good for the men's soccer team. Go support them if the games are at home. All right, let's wrap this up. I got to go. See you guys at Tulane. Go Knights. Shargon. Shots. Shots.